Well, good morning. Hope everybody's doing well today. Um, how many of you have already set up for Christmas around your house? All right. How many of you do not set up for Christmas until sometime well into December? All right, a few of you. How many of you kept Christmas up all year? My dad back there raised his hand. <laughs> he kept his Christmas tree up all year long, and so he didn't have much decorating to do this year. Well, we set up for Christmas yesterday, um, and, you know, I'm going to um, just say this about my wife. My wife does nothing Christmas whatsoever until Thanksgiving is over. Um, Yes. Well, she is referred to as the Scrooge in our house. Um, I, I can celebrate Christmas 52 weeks out of the year. I love Christmas. My favorite time of the year. Back in May, y'all remember the garage sale that we had here at the church, um, a missions fundraiser that we did. One of you probably in this room generously donated a Randy Travis Christmas CD. And I want you to know, as soon as I got in the car to leave this parking lot, that Christmas CD was being played. Now, my wife was right next to me, and she quickly turned it off. But I love Christmas. Love this time of year. This morning, we're going to be looking at the last chapter of the book of Malachi. Okay, we're, this is not a Christmas message, but it's certainly a setup to the Christmas messages that we will do coming up beginning next week. Our, our sermon series this Christmas is called The Songs of Christmas. And what we're going to do is we're going to walk through um, four different songs. We're going to look at Zachariah's song, we're going to look at Mary's song, Simeon's song, and the angel's song. And so I'm looking forward to this series that we're going to walk through um, beginning next week. But this morning, we are in the last chapter of the book of Malachi. Not only is it the last chapter of the book of Malachi, but it's actually the last chapter of, of the Old Testament. And what we're going to see this morning is that, that, that this morning's um, um, message, what we're gonna, what, what's about to happen is Israel is going to experience 400 years of silence. For 400 years, following the writing of this book, following the death of Malachi, there would be no other prophet left in the land. For 400 years, there would be no messenger of God, no mouthpiece speaking the words of the Lord. So Israel is about to walk through its darkest period in all, in hu- all of human history. And so that's what we're going to see this morning. This sermon is entitled, The Dawning of the Sun. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Malachi chapter 4. We're going to begin reading in verse 1. Beginning of verse 1, this is what we read. For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and all evildoers will be stubble. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. But for you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall. And you shall tread down the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet. On the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts, remember the law of my servant Moses, the statutes and rules that I commanded him at Horeb for all of Israel. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he... 
and he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with the decree of utter utter destruction. Here's what we're going to see this morning. Our message point is this. You can trust the promises of the Lord. You can trust that just as the Old Testament prophesied of the first advent, the first coming of the Lord, you can be certain that as the second advent has been predicted, that it will come true as well. You can trust the promises of the Lord. The Old Testament is full of prophetic predictions about the first and second coming of the Lord. The Lord Jesus Christ has already come the first time, but we know that there is a day coming soon when the Lord Jesus Christ will come again. In the book of Isaiah chapter 9, Isaiah penned these words. He said, for us For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. So here is the prediction that was predicted of the first coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this verse concludes with this words, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. What a great words of promise. Guess what? If the Lord says it's going to happen, it's going to happen. The Lord promised the people of Israel that a day would come when the Savior of the world would burst into human history, and he did. And he also promised us that there is coming a day again when he will come back for his church, and you can count on it and believe that he will. And as we looked at in this passage this morning, there is a promise of one like Elijah that will come as well. That was the prediction. And we know that prediction came true when John the Baptist was born. Notice our first point this morning. It is this. The Lord is coming. The Lord is coming. We begin verse 1 with these words, for behold. You know, that word behold is an attention-getting word, isn't it? When you hear someone say, behold, you, you're kind of anticipating what is going to come next. So Malachi said, for behold, the day is coming. What day is coming? The day of the Lord is coming. The day in which the Lord Jesus Christ would come and burst into human history, that was the day that was being predicted by Malachi. He's not the only one that predicted that. Throughout the Old Testament, other prophets as well predicted the coming day of the Lord, the coming of his first advent as well as his second advent. So when you, when you think about the day of the Lord coming, there, there is this sense of anticipation. And there's also this sense of warning, anticipation because the Lord Jesus Christ is about to burst into human history, warning because the Lord Jesus Christ is about to burst into human history. And if you're not ready, what does that mean? Judgment is coming. And that is what Malachi is communicating this morning to his readers and subsequently to everyone in human history that would read from this great book. Here's what we know. The coming day of the Lord carries with it a promise of a day of reckoning. Verse 1 again. For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and all evildoers will be stubble. 
The day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. Scripture clearly warns the unbeliever that if they do not repent of their sins and turn in faith to the Lord, that a day of reckoning is coming, a day of judgment is coming. For the unbeliever, it will be a dreadful day. They will be granted exactly what they so desired, an eternity separated from God the Father. And we are told of this day that this day is going to be a, a, a consuming day. It will be a day burning like an oven. It will be a day of wrath. The psalmist penned in Psalm 21.9 these words, You will make them as a blazing oven when you appear. The Lord will swallow them up in his wrath and fire will consume them. The visual here is intense. We know that fi- the fire of the Lord will consume the unrighteous. We know that because God's word makes that clear. And here's what we also we know. We know that every fire needs fuel to continue to burn. Usually the best kind of fuel are, are, are dead things like leaves and trees and structure. Just look at the devastating fires that have swept across California and the horrendous destruction that those fires have caused. You know, those fires have burned and burned and burned because the fuel that was present there to allow it to continue to burn. Notice who will provide the fuel for the coming wrath of God. We're told here that it will be all the arrogant and all evildoers, and they will be relegated to stubble, to chaff is what we are told. These are people that have heard the truth of God's word, and they have chosen not to believe. Not only have they chosen not to believe, we get this kind of sense of them being called arrogant, that they're almost laughing in the face of God. They know the truth. They've heard the truth, but they haven't received the truth. And as a result, they, they lived their life arrogantly, kind of like laughing at the face of God. These evildoers, we're told, will be like stubble. They will be like chaff, which is what is left after wheat has been threshed on the threshing floor. Once that wheat has been beaten, and, and, and relegated um, um, to, to you've got the kernels and then you also have the chaff that is left over. And what a person does is they take that, that, that wheat that's there and they kind of toss it up in the air. And that chaff that's there, if the wind is blowing, it will be blown away and it will just quickly disintegrate and be no more. And, and that is kind of what happens when that chaff is also thrown into the fire. It is consumed in an instant. For those who do not heed the word of the Lord and turn and repent from their sins, that is the kind of reckoning that they will experience one day. It's going to be a grim day. It's going to be a day um, of, of, of just unimaginable um, destruction and wrath. It will be a devastating day for all who choose not to believe in Jesus. So we know that the day of reckoning will be a grim day for those unbelievers. But in verse 2, we are told that there is a promise of rejoicing for the believer. 
For those of us in this room that have placed our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, there is a day of rejoicing that is coming. We're, we read in verse 2, But for you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings, and you shall go out leaping like calves from the stall. For those who fear the name of the Lord, for those who stand in awe of the name at which the wicked curse, there is a day of rejoicing that is coming. And we're told that the sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. There is a promise here that with Jesus will come a dawning of a new day. Can you imagine the darkness that must have been experienced during that 400 years when there was no prophet, when there were no men that spoke words of God. We're told that it was 400 years of silence. There was no, this was not a physical darkness, but it was a spiritual darkness. You see, where Christ isn't, darkness is. In Isaiah 9 2, we read, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. It was a dark, dark period in human history. But Christ came and he eradicated darkness and he eradicates darkness today and he provides spiritual healing for all who call on his name for salvation. In 1 Peter 2, 21 through 25, we read these words. Peter said, for to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he when he was reviled, he did not revel in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. And we're told here, by his wounds, you have been healed. Some of your translations say, by his stripes, you have been healed. In verse 25, for you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Through Christ, we have been healed. We have been cleansed and purified and given the gift of eternal life. And with his healing comes a promise. Notice this promise uttered from heaven to John in Revelation 21, 3 through 4. We read, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. There is coming a day when all of these sayings of this earth will be relegated to nothing. There will be no more sickness for the believer. There will be no more pain for the believer. There will be no more cancer for the believer. There will be no more death that will be experienced. None of these things will be in the future because after we die and after we go and dwell with the Father for all of eternity, all of those things will be relegated to nothing. We're told here also in our, in our 
focal passage this morning, that you shall go, we're told that there will be rejoicing. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall. You know, some of you in this room have either raised cattle or you're like my friend Leroy and you still raise cattle today. And in this verse, we're told that, that, that we shall go out leaping like calves from the stall. You know, I've, I haven't been around a lot of cattle, okay? But whenever I read that verse, I wanted to do a little research because I've seen some things on TV before when, when a calf has been pinned up for an extended period of time. When those gates are open, that calf literally goes out and begins jumping and leaping. They're rejoicing in their newfound freedom. They're rejoicing at the pasture that is before them. That visual is what it's like for the believer that has placed their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. It is a day of rejoicing. It is a day of happiness. It is a day that is unimaginable for for a new believer who comes to faith in Christ. It is a day of exuberant joy. If you're here this morning and you do not have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, let me ask you this question. Why not? What is keeping you from placing your faith and trust in Jesus Christ? Because there is joy found in Christ. We looked at this last week. But just remember what we have as believers in Christ. We have received grace in Christ. Our redemption is in Christ. We are justified in Christ. We have forgiveness of sins in Christ. There is no condemnation in Christ. We are a new creation in Christ. We have eternal life in Christ. God supplies all our needs in Christ. We have every spiritual blessing of heaven in Christ. We will be presented to God perfect in Christ, and we cannot be separated from the love of God in Christ. And that's good news. There is freedom in Christ. Christ sets us free. Just as that calf has been set free and goes forth rejoicing, so have we been set free from sin and death. And we too can go forth leaping and rejoicing. Notice the next promise here. There's this promise of a day of victory. Verse 3 we read, And you shall tread down the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts. Have you ever said or asked yourself, why do the wicked always prosper? Why do those that have chosen to laugh in the face of God always seem to prosper? Folks, there is coming a day when those who are wicked will receive what they have desired, a life without Jesus. One day every person, every nation, every enemy of God will be judged. One day and one day soon, the Lord will return. If his return today was today, would you be ready? Would you be ready for Christ's return? Notice next, the Lord will reward. As we conclude with the second point this morning, we are also concluding the Old Testament. The nation of Israel would receive no more written words of instruction, nor would there be a prophet to provide a new word from the Lord for 400 plus years. With the impending time of darkness comes these words of instructions. First, there is the instruction. It is a call to remember and believe. Malachi wrote these words, Remember the law of my servant Moses, the statutes and rules that I commanded him at Horeb for all of Israel. Remember and believe. I think it's interesting 
that the writer of the last Old Testament book, as he concludes the final three verses of the Old Testament, he reaches back and remembers the writer of the first Old Testament book. Hundreds of years separate these two men. But Malachi makes reference to Moses, who penned the first five books of the Bible. You know what that tells us? That tells us this, that God's Word, it supports each other. Every book within God's Word supports each other. It all comes together to reveal God's love and God's purpose and his desire for all of creation. The first page and the last page have been given to us for our instruction, for our training. In 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17, we read, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Malachi instructs the nation of Israel to remember the law, That same instruction must be heeded by us as well. We must not only remember God's words of instruction, but we must actually adhere to those words. Yes, the nation of Israel would go through a very, very dark period in human history, but they did not go through it without all of the tools that they needed to survive it. They had the Word of God. And folks, I want you to know right now that the Word of God is more than enough. God's Word is more than enough. As we walked through our Believe series and we looked at the Word, as we looked at the Bible, I shared with you some words that I had heard from another pastor that, and other pastors have said this as well, but, but, but the Word of God is more than just ink on a page. It is the breath of God on a page. So yes, the Israelites would go through 400 plus years of silence from a prophet, but they were not alone because they had God's word and God's word is living and active. We know that God's word is living and active according to Hebrews 4.12. 2 Timothy 3.16 tells us it is profitable. Ephesians 6.17 says that it is the sword of the Spirit. In Isaiah 55.11, we read that it shall not return empty. In John 1.14, we are told that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. In Proverbs 35, we are told that the Word of God is true. Jeremiah 23.29 tells us that the Word of God is like a fire. In 1 Peter 1.2, we read that the Word of the Lord will remain forever. The word is enough, folks. It was enough for for the Israelites during that period of silence, and it is enough for us. But thankfully, we not only have the word of God, but we have the Holy Spirit that dwells within us as well to guide and direct our steps. Malachi instructed the people to remember the law of the Lord. One writer spoke these words of truth. He said, the last few words of the Old Testament are a call back to the law. Because under the Old Covenant, man related to God on a basis of the law. He went on to say, thank God for the New Covenant. First, our John 117 says, for the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Before Jesus, the people had the law. They had the instruction given to them by God. 
the measurement of one's faith was based on the adherence to the law. Follow the law, and guess what? You live. Reject the law, and guess what? You die. You and I no longer live under the law. We live under grace. So does that mean that we can go about living our life however we want to because we've been saved by grace? Absolutely not. Because what have we been called to? We've been called to a life of holiness, to, to a life that mimics Jesus Christ, to a God-honoring life that draws people unto salvation as opposed to repels them away from salvation. Yeah, we're going to make mistakes. Every single day we're going to make mistakes. Every single day we're going to fall short of what God intends for us. But does that mean that we just give up? Absolutely not. We strive every day to become more and more like Jesus Christ. Notice next, we, we are to remember and prepare. Verses 5 through 6 says, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with the decree of utter destruction. Before the arrival of the Messiah was the arrival of one like Elijah. The angel Gabriel promised Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist, that his son would go forth in the spirit and power of Elijah. In Luke 1, verses 16 through 17, we read these words. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. So John the Baptist would go forth as one like Elijah. And he would preach a message of repentance. He would preach a message of, of, of preparedness, getting people's hearts ready for the arrival of the Messiah. If you recall, um, as, as, as um, the disciples, as they were coming down from the Mount of Transfiguration after they had seen Jesus in his unveiled glory, these are the words that were spoken. And as they were coming down, the mountain. Jesus commanded them, tell no one the vision until the Son of Man is raised from the dead. And the disciples asked him, then why do the scribes say that first Elijah must come? And he answered, Elijah does come and he will restore all things. But I tell you that Elijah has already come and they did not recognize him, but did to him whatever they please. So also the Son of Man will certainly suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he was speaking to them of John the Baptist. You know, during Jesus' day, hundreds of thousands of people missed out on the arrival of Elijah. And because they missed out on the arrival of Elijah, guess what? They also missed out on the arrival of the Messiah. And as a result of that, today they spend eternity separated from God in a place called hell. Because of their hardness of hearts, they miss Jesus. They miss the Messiah. Do you realize that there are still hundreds of millions of people around this world today that are missing out on the Messiah? They're missing out on God's grace because they have chosen not to believe. There are millions of Jews today that have missed out on the arrival of Elijah. Not only have they missed out on the arrival of Elijah, but they've also missed out on the arrival of Jesus. Around 
many Passover tables. There is actually, I believe that if Passover is practiced correctly, at every Passover meal, there is an extra cup filled with wine left on the table. And that cup is left on the table for Elijah. Because Jews still today are waiting in anticipation of Elijah to come. And so they set a glass for him at the table, hoping that he is going to show up during that Passover meal or during the month that Passover is celebrated. And it's interesting that that many have also, they have as their tradition, that they will go to the front door of their home and they will open that door in hopes that Elijah would be there at the door. And Obviously, if he's there, they're going to welcome him in and dine at that table. Some of these tables, not all, but some of them have an empty chair also. And that empty chair is there for Elijah to come and sit down. Um, There are other times in um, the life of a Jewish family that they will also set up a chair for Elijah to sit in. Um, one of those being the circumcision of, of uh, a boy. They will set up a chair in hopes and anticipation that Elijah will show up. Why is there an empty chair? Because they are anticipating the arrival of Elijah. Why do they want Elijah to show up so badly? Because if Elijah shows up, guess what? Soon after, the Messiah also will show up. You know, I had studied that before, but I was reminded of that this week. You know, there are literally millions of people around this world today that are still waiting on Elijah to come. You may know some of them. And folks, we've got a responsibility as believers to share with them that not only has Elijah already come, but Jesus has come also. And he has come to set them free of their sin. If they would just turn in faith to him, and call out to him to be their Lord and their Savior. You know, you and I no longer look horizontally for, the, for Jesus to arrive, do we? Now, we look up into the sky in anticipation of that day when he is going to call us home. Acts one eleven, we read these words. The angel of the Lord said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Jesus ascended to take his rightful place next to the Father in heaven. And there's going to come a day when Jesus is going to return. And he's going to return and he's going to take us home. Are you ready for that day? Now I'm ready for that day. Are you ready for that day? Are those that we do life with on a daily basis are they ready for that day? Final thing that I want to share this morning is this, that, that um, Malachi was, was, was challenging the people to remember and praise. Because when Jesus Christ comes, when Elijah, the forerunner of the Messiah, was to come, this is what was going to happen. Reconciliation. 
and he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with the decree of utter destruction. Jesus came to reconcile one to another. He came to reconcile a father and a son. He came to mend broken relationships. That is what he came to do, and that is what he still does to this very day. He mends broken relationships. In Christ, we are brought together. We, as we looked at last week, become a part of the church. He is our head, and we are the body. When we come together in Christ, we are reconciled one to another. Fathers and sons, enemies and, 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 and non-enemies are all reconciled to Christ. You know, Malachi chapter 3, verses 2 through 3, um, we read these words about um, what Jesus Christ does in our lives. And these are just great words that I wanted to share or read this morning, and we'll close with this. But it says, But who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. And he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver. And they will bring offerings and righteousness to the Lord. You see what the Lord does right here? The Lord will take us and he will cleanse us and he will purify us. Just like a, um, a refiner will take that gold and that silver and melt it down. What, what happens is when that is melted down, all the pure impurities rise to the top. And then he'll take that and he will scoop that away. And that gold becomes more and more pure. Or that silver becomes more and more pure. And that's what Jesus did with us. When we entered into a personal relationship with us, with him, he took us and he refined us. And he brought all that nasty junk out. And he swept it away. And we're told in Psalm that he removed it as far as the east is from the west. That's good news this morning. If you are here this morning and you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, I want to invite you to make the greatest decision that you could ever make, and that is to confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. And the Bible says if you do that, you will be saved. Folks, here's the good news. Just as Jesus came the first time, you can be certain that he is going to come again. Are you ready for that? If you're not a believer in this room, I'm going to tell you right now, you're not ready for that. You may think you're ready for that, but you're not ready for that. Until you cry out to Jesus to be your Lord and Savior, you will not be ready. So this morning, we're going to enter into a time of invitation. I'm going to be standing here at the front. If there's a decision you need to make, I want to invite you to come. If you need to come placing your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, you come. If you need to come this morning and join this church, you come. If you need to come and just kneel and pray, you come as well. I don't know what decision you need to make, but if there's a decision you need to make, you come. Let's stand together. I'm going to lead us in a time of prayer. And after I say amen, if there's a decision you need to make, you come. Father God, we come before you this morning. Lord Jesus, thanking you for this day. Thanking you for the promises of your word. Father, we thank you that your word 
has always been more than enough for us because your word is living and it is active and it has been given to us for our benefit to, to um, not only help reveal to us um, how we're not to live, but it has been given to us to reveal to us how we are to live. And so, Father, may all of us in this room heed the words found in your word and seek to be obedient and follow them all of the days of our lives. Father, this morning, Father, there may be some in this room that has yet to receive you as their Lord and Savior. And if that is true, Father, if there is someone that hasn't repented of their sins and turned in faith to you, I pray that today you'll draw them unto salvation. I pray that today they will be obedient to your call. They will respond to your call. And they will come. Father, in this room, there may be some that have been visiting this church for a while and you're leading them to become a part of this faith family. We welcome them. Father, during this time of invitation, speak to all of us and reveal to us how we are to respond. For it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.